Hello, hello, you guys. Guess what? Julie is on today. I have kind of, well, not kind of, I really missed Julie. And I reached out to her, I don't know, a month or so ago and was like, hey, would you randomly come on with me and we can do episodes? And she said, yes. So yes. instead of her <laughs> proposing, I should have brought chocolate cake. Instead of her proposing to me with chocolate cake, I proposed to her with my smile. <laughs> I don't know what Something. you want to say. I don't even know. <laughs> um, I don't know. But she said yes. And I'm so glad that she said yes this time. So welcome, Julie. Welcome, welcome. Welcome. We're going to be talking. Good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here. It's good to see your face. Julie and I are going to be talking about the Arrive Trail today. And that is something that I don't know if, if you're not familiar with. It was done in like 2018. I think it was like published in 2019. Does that sound right, Julie? Yeah, I think it was like finally, like the final final, final analysis yeah. was published in 2020. Um, yeah. But if the study was completed in 2018. Yeah. Think, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it is where they did a trial to see if elective induction at 39 weeks reduced a lot of things, not just cesarean, but because we are in the cesarean world, that's definitely, it was, I would say one of the most important topics of does it reduce cesarean, but also like, does it reduce chances of preeclampsia? Does it read hypertension and, you know, other things. Right. But like the big question was, is does it reduce the chances of Cesarean. So we're going to talk about that today. We have a blog on it today, but there's actually an update and that was done in May of 2023. So we're going to talk about that. But of course we have a review of the week and Julie is going to do the honors. Yes. So happy to be back and join you on the podcast anytime. Um, all right. This review is from Bethany Stegert, something like that. Um, the title is podcast was part of my VBAC after two C-section journey. And she says, I'm so thankful for this podcast. I listened to so many episodes in preparation for my VBAC after two cesareans. Listening to other women share their stories gave me the courage to keep working and fighting for my upcoming birth. I just gave birth to my third boy and the birth was everything I could have asked for. I am so thankful for this podcast and blog and refer every expecting mom I know to it in hopes that it gives them the courage and confidence it gave me to get the birth they want and deserve. And mm -hmm. that just makes me so happy to hear those things and to know that the podcast is making a difference in everybody's lives. I feel like there's like such a feeling of solidarity in, when we mm -hmm. sit and listen to other people's birth stories and there's so much we can learn and there's so much we can be inspired by. And there's so much that we can use as we navigate our own birth journeys. And so thank you, Bethany, for leaving that incredible review. You are tuned into the VBAC Link podcast with Megan Heaton, who is a longtime doula and VBAC mom herself, here to help you get inspired for birth after having had a C-section. Along with this podcast, the VBAC Link offers blogs, resources, and a comprehensive VBAC course for both parents preparing for birth and doulas wanting to take their VBAC education to the next level. Be sure to follow Megan and her team on all social media platforms for even more. Although these podcast episodes are VBAC specific, it is encouraged for all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a C-section from the get-go. 
The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here is your host, Megan. Hi guys, Megan here. I'm not sure if you knew, but I'm a vaginal birth after two cesarean mama myself. Preparing for my VBAC was tough due to the lack of evidence-based info back then, along with where to find it. Which is why I, along with Julie, created this podcast and our signature course, How to VBAC. The course is self-paced, so you can watch it whenever your kiddos are sleeping or even at school. It's filled with evidence-backed data, tips and advice to help you go after the birth you want and achieve your VBAC. You can find the link to the course in the show notes today or type in the browser thevbacklink.com slash vbac-class. All right, Julie. Arrive trial. I feel like when this came out, you and I, well, I'm going to say for sure I was, I was actually a little grumpy. I was like, this yeah. can't, this can't be, this cannot be, you know, being in the birth world. I feel like, well, especially since COVID, but this is like pre-COVID, right? Like we definitely see induction and it can happen just fine. Super smooth, no problems. But then there's a lot of times too where it doesn't. And we see the cascade that leads to that cesarean, right? And I remember when Julie and I started uh, the birth course, the how to prep or how to VBAC uh, prep course, we were t- teaching in person and we had a mom that came and she was, when we talked about this, she was like, I was in that. I was in that trial. And we were like, oh, like, how did it go? And she's like, well, I'm here prepping for a VBAC. <laughs> you know, like she had a cesarean. And so she had talked to us a little bit about it. But Julie, what, I don't know, what do you remember about your first feelings when this trial came out? Well, I had a really hard time because you know, you and I have been to many, 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 many births in a hospital, out of hospital, inductions, unmedicated, medicated, scheduled C-sections, emergency C-sections, crash C-sections, like we've been to all of it. And I think that that's really the unique perspective that we have as doulas and birth photographers, because we get to see the biggest range of births, I feel like of all the people that work in the birth world. And the thing, my first reaction when the arrive trial came out was that it did not reconcile with my real life experiences and witnessing all of these type of births. There was this disconnect between what the study said and what I had witnessed. And I feel like that was just a really, like before we even, before I even got into Into the study and saw all of the flaws and the different little nuances that people should be considering that they don't because anyways, (laughs) I just knew like it's something didn't feel right. I'm like, this cannot be right. This cannot be right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is kind of how I felt too. Like it just, it, it didn't click. And I was like, so what, what did they do? Like, this was my first question as I was reading, I was like, what did they do to quote unquote, lower the cesarean rate? Like, what did they do differently? And I think that's one of the still to to me, one of the most frustrating parts is we don't really know exactly all of the protocols and all the exact nitty gritty details of this study. They haven't released it from my knowledge anyway. Yeah. Well, and I looked too, just a little bit before we started recording, like, yeah, sure. It's really interesting because in the study results, 
they had the um, elective induction group had mm-hmm. a cesarean rate of 19%. Yep. And the uh, expected management group, which we'll go into all of the reasons why um, that is a little bit crazy, was the cesarean right? rate was 22%. But yeah. here's the thing is the national cesarean rate is 30%. And so I feel like already they were doing things in the study that impacted cesarean rate or the in, the chances of having a C-section anyways. Okay, but we don't know what those protocols are. We don't know how they were induced. They said when the results said when this induction protocol is followed, then cesarean rate is reduced. But the problem is, is we have providers all over the country inducing willy-nilly, not knowing what the protocol is and probably being more aggressive in their inductions because I know the, we know the providers that led this study. We know who they are. We worked with them in their space. We know how they practice. And we know that the induction protocol was probably, probably, and again, this is me speaking with no real knowledge, just my assumptions. And so take that for what it's worth. But they probably had a pretty gentle, slow induction process. And they were probably pretty patient along the way, just from what we know of those providers and the hospital that originated from. So that was also kind of a thought is like 22%. I mean, it's not a low cesarean rate, but it's lower, like 8% lower, 8, 9% lower than the national average. So that's going, that's something I think to consider as well into that. Yeah. It was interesting to me because it was like 50,000 patients that were screened for this study. And in those 50,000, like 22,000 were eligible but then only like 6,000, because just over 6,000 actually accepted to be in this trial, which those numbers to me are pretty dramatic. Like 50,000 to 22,000 to 6,000. It's a really big thing. And so it's like, I wish I knew more of like, I mean, we know what people have said that were in the ARRIVE trial, like they had to, you know, do certain things, but like, I wish I knew more of like why all those people were declining and then why from 50 to 22,000 people like were eliminated. You know, what was it that people, why were people eliminated? You know, but maybe it's just because we're like, yeah, we don't want to, because what we had seen is that cesarean or induction raises cesarean delivery. But like Julie said, like, this is just all us like, I mean, yes, we're gonna we're gonna share some studies and some numbers of things, but like this is all just like us brainstorming this out loud, really, because it is really interesting to me. And like Julie was saying, like, how long were these people able to be induced? Because induction based, I mean, even if you go listen to all these stories, right, Julie, like induction is not something that's able to be carried out for Days and days and days, usually. But sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. Sometimes, and and that's what we were talking about. Like or I was talking about earlier is at this hospital the study originated in, and the where the providers practiced that were the like authors of this study. Mm-hmm. Um, they ha- I have been to many, many, many two and three day long inductions there that ended in vaginal deliveries. So have so and have I. not I know and not. All the hospitals are that patient. In fact, I don't know of any that are that patient in our area. You know? Yeah. 
No. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of, it's like the hardest thing is you're like, you, if your client doesn't want to be induced, like you want them to not be induced because that's not what they want. But if they're going to be induced, you almost want them to be induced at this specific hospital because we know that they will kind of let these inductions happen. I mean, I think the longest induction or the longest birth I've been, well, it is the longest birth I've ever been to, but at, at the, that hospital specifically was like 52 hours. Yeah. 52 hours. And I remember like crawling up on the ground, like putting a towel on the ground and falling asleep, trying to take a nap because I, as a doula had been there for that long, like they called me in the very beginning and that's just not normal. Right. It's not that normal. So what kind of piqued our interest in wanting to talk about this again? I mean, we're talking about something that happened in 2018. Now it's 2023 is that Michigan, the University of Michigan just released a article, an article talking about this. And it's called labor induction doesn't always reduce cesarean birth risks or improve outcomes for term pregnancies. So we want to talk about that and just kind of update you guys, because we believe that updates as we get more information is important. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, so they, let's see, was it 14,000, Julie? They were like kind of analyzing 14,000 births, right? Yeah. So what I really like about the Michigan study that was released is it was a sort of analysis, like like it's this, now, this yeah. study, they were looking back at yep. births and how yeah. they ended, but births that did not enter into a study, births that did not were not set up in order to track births that were so just happened without any care in the world, right? Um, in this regard, and they and they looked back at the data that they had mm-hmm. already had, and I love that because that's what I love about like Cochrane reviews. Like I'm a big Cochrane review junkie because. Cognitive views look at a whole bunch of data and a whole bunch of studies and put them together instead of create a study and move through it. And so the ARRIVE trial, the study was created in order to show if cesareans reduce the risk of, I'm sorry, if induction reduced the risk of cesarean or other maternal or fetal mortality rates. Like how does, how does induction impact that? That's what this study was designed to, but this study with, from the the Michigan state study looked back at data that had already existed without any type of bias going into it. And yes, there was 14,000, they looked at uh, 14,135 deliveries in the year 2020. And they analyzed all of those to look at the outcomes um, who ended a cesarean, who had ended up with hypertension, who, um, in, had postpartum hemorrhages, yeah. who had, um, what was the other one? Um, oh yeah. High blood pressure. Did I say that already? Operative vaginal deliveries, yeah. like, yeah. um, vacuum and forceps. And that's what they, that's how they pulled it from. And I feel like in some ways that's probably, um, well, I guess, there's different ways of looking at data is accurate. So I don't want to say it's more accurate, but I love that they looked back and that reflection on it. And they showed yeah. that the group that was induced in the 39th week had a 30% uh, um, rate of cesarean, which is what was I just saying? What was I just saying? I was saying the national average is like 31.2% or something. So that fits more in line with the national average. 
of the people that went in and got inductions versus 24% of the people who um, had the expected management. Now, 24% is not a great cesarean rate either, but it's just 6% decrease in yeah. those amounts of cesarean. And also for people that wanting to know the rest of it was people who were induced had higher instances of postpartum hemorrhage. So 10% versus 8% for the expectant management group. And when we say expectant management group, those are the people who went and had their, they were not induced. They were just going through taking pregnancies that come came and then de- delivered whatever that yeah. looked like, whether it, when it was medically indicated to have an induction, then um, after the 39th week, those are probably included in those numbers there as well. Operative vaginal delivery, vacuum, and forceps were 11% in the indu- induction group versus 9% in the expected management group. Although people who were induced were less likely to have hypertensive disorder, which is high blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and that those numbers are 9% in the expected management group versus only 6% in the induction group. And there were no significant differences, no other differences in neonatal outcomes, nothing, no differences. Nothing dramatic. Nothing dramatic. Nope. Yeah. And the, the researchers, uh, researchers mimicked the same exact framework um, used in the national trial. And a CNM said, we designed an analytic framework mirroring the previous trials protocol using retrospective data but our results didn't reinforce the link between elective induced labor and in late pregnancy and a reduction in cesarean births. Yeah. Did it did not, you know? And so it's just, it's so interesting because even now today we're still, I mean, as a doula still working in the field, we're still seeing these inductions, not even just being offered, but flat out just being scheduled. Like, hey, we are going to schedule your birth at 39 weeks. And they do. They say, because that is going to lower your chance of cesarean rates, right? And that's what they tell you. They do. Yes. Yes. They do tell you that. And it is, you know, when when you are expecting, first time, second time, anytime, when you're expecting, most of the time, someone's not necessarily wanting to go in for an elective cesarean, right? Like, don't want to say that doesn't happen because it does, and that's okay, but it's really not what's happening. Like, people don't just start raising their hand and sign up for cesareans, especially first-time moms, right? Inductions? No, cesareans. So, like, okay, gotcha. like, they're not like, oh, I want a cesarean, I want a cesarean. And so when you have a provider say hey, at 39 weeks, we'll have we'll go ahead and schedule that induction because that is going to lower your chance of having that cesarean. Then they're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, I don't like, want a cesarean. That's gonna, yeah, absolutely. Go for that. <laughs> right. And so that's where we go. But then we're looking at this and we're like, mm, but does it really lower our chances of cesarean? Mm-hmm. And that is where it's frustrating. And that is where I feel like People are being misled. We yes, I was, that's I was just gonna say is we have mis misguided people into doing certain things that actually doesn't have the most solid data out there. And I'm not I don't want to discredit the arrived trial. I'm not saying it's completely false or wrong. I'm just saying mm, let's look at 
it deeper and why don't we release more about this trial? It's been how many years now and that hasn't been released, but yet we are still inducing at 39 weeks. Yeah. Well, it's so funny because, well, okay. I'm going to change thoughts actually strike that. I feel like I want to go back and talk a little bit more about what you talked about in the beginning about how the numbers of the people who were eligible for the trial versus who, who elected to be in the trial, 72% of women who were approached to be in the study declined Declined being Mm -hmm. in the study. So that means 18% of people. So this is what happens. Your doctor comes up to you and say, Hey, we're doing a study. Some people are just not going to want to be in studies and that's totally fine. It doesn't matter. Right. But um, your doctor comes up to you and you're like, hey, we're doing a study. We're going to randomly assign you to a group. Uh, you can be induced at 39 weeks or you can be um, ex- in the expectant management group. But if you hit 40 weeks in five days, we're going to induce you anyways, because that's another thing yeah, um, that, that they did yes. is, and they counted those in the expectant management group. They If they got to 40 weeks in five days and hadn't had their baby, they were induced. Now, no giving until ACOG recommends 42 weeks and six days before induction is n- absolutely necessary. They say it um, should probably be considered uh, in the 41st week, so like between 41 and 42. So why are we not waiting till at 41 weeks? Why are not giving them two yeah. more days? Why not giving them nine more days to get to 42 weeks? But that was the cutoff for whatever reason. So, well, Which was like 75% of the group overall had their babies by that day. Yeah. So why? So that, but that's a big percentage of people that are still being induced for weeks in five days. Yeah. So yeah. your doctor comes to you with these two options and you say, you know what? Sure. That sounds great. Or now nah, I don't really want to. And 72% said, no, I don't really want to for whatever reason. Now I know me going into my first VBAC. Well, first of all, you had to be a first time mom. So there's no VBACs yeah. included in this no. at all. It was all first time moms. So it doesn't apply to anybody else. The study risk findings does not apply to anybody else. Same with this Michigan study. The Michigan study only looked at first time birthers. So first time moms, I know that as I was planning for my first birth, I wanted um, a hypnobirth. I was planning on going unmedicated. That was what I wanted. That was my birth plan and my birth desire. It obviously didn't end that way, but I wouldn't have elected into opted into that study because it went contrary to the things that I knew I wanted for my birth. So I feel like the arrived trial automatically discludes, discludes, is that a word? Excludes. Excludes. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Yes. It automatically, like people will automatically not do it if they want, if they're a more naturally minded person Mm -hmm. who wants a more hands-off birth experience. I feel Mm -hmm. like you're going to get really honed into a demographic that is okay with the medical system that trusts their doctors that wants to just go in, get hooked up to an epidural and have a baby. And and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I feel like the mindset going into birth can influence how you respond during birth and how your body responds during birth. Right. And so I, that's the other thing that I really like about this Michigan study is I feel like you have a wider demographic in the mindset department of how these people Mm -hmm. birth, right? I feel like there's going to be more types of birth plans involved Mm -hmm. in there. There's going to be a bigger variety of people uh, in the, a bigger variety of the experiences that are sought after in the birth space, in the um, subset or in the data set from Michigan. Yeah. You know, and so you just kind of talked about this, like, so how does VBAC and the ARRIVE trial even apply or does it? 
It doesn't. No, and it doesn't. <laughs> That's the answer. But you guys, we are still seeing so many, like so many of our VBAC mamas being told that they have a higher chance of serine or they have to have a baby by 39 weeks in order to have a vaginal birth because they have a higher chance. And the arrived trial is actually brought up to these people because they are viewed as a first time mom because they haven't had a vaginal birth. But that's not the case, right, Julie? I mean, so many people who've had a cesarean actually labored and dilated to some degree, if not all the way, right? Yep. So why are we applying it at all to, I mean, if I had my way, anyone, anyone. I feel like there's probably something a little bit unethical about doing that. Like saying, hey, look, uh, there's a study that came out inducing you at 39 weeks reduces your chance of having a C-section. Yep. I feel like when that alone is the only thing that's being said and offered, I feel like it's a little unethical. Yeah. I don't, I just don't love it. I don't, I don't love it at all. So let's talk about some other ways. So we've got to, you know, I guess let's wrap it up as in does inducing at 39 weeks as a first time mom or in right, like according to the arrived trial, does it really in- reduce your chances of cesarean? Like, what would you say, Julie, based off of what we've got? What would you say? Does it really? Uh, I would say, I would say, if somebody asked me that, this is exactly what I would say. I would say maybe, but there are a lot better things that you can do to reduce your chance of having a cesarean besides being induced at 37 or 39 weeks. Yeah. So that would kind of be my thing is possibly, possibly. However, it depends on how it's done. It depends on the hours that you're going to be given. It depends mm-hmm. all, like on the patients of that provider. On your doctor, on your on provider, your, on their yep. cesarean rate. On it depends the- on a lot. So could it actually lower your chances of cesarean? In my opinion, maybe, maybe. But does it? Yes or no? I would say there's not an answer there. Like I know there's not a yes or no here. Could it? Maybe. But okay, what are other ways to reduce your chances of cesarean, right? Like, and I think induction really is a hard one because, because sometimes there are things that are coming up, which is, you know, in this arrive style, arrive style, arrive trial (laughs) study is what I meant to say and trial at the same time, where it's like, okay, it seems to lower hypertension, chances of hypertension. And hypertension can be an issue, right, for vaginal birth. So if we can reduce our hypertension levels, maybe an induction, right? If an induction can reduce our hypertension numbers or- The chances of hypertension, yeah. Yes, then maybe uh, an induction at that point can reduce a cesarean. Maybe. 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 Maybe, yes, but- Maybe if here's the thing though, to consider, because I feel like this is so individualized, right? It should be individualized, but it's not being individualized. And here's the thing. If you have a history of pregnancy induced hypertension, then maybe elective induction at 39 weeks is something that you heavily consider. I mean, you know, you don't have to have had a, well, I guess if you're a first time mom, then it doesn't matter. Like you don't have a history of anything because it's your first pregnancy, but like, yeah. 
But if you have a history of pregnancy, uh, hypertensive disorders in your family, if you're were if your blood pressure is starting to creep up a little bit, if you're having signs of, I don't know, preeclampsia or something like that, if there's a right. reason where you might be at a higher risk for pregnancy induced hypertension, then maybe that's something that you consider, you right. know, or maybe if you're hypertension, if you, if there's other ways to manage hypertension, like, first of all, um, there's lots of dietary things you can do. There's medication that you can take pharmaceuticals and things like that, that, it, anyways, if it starts to creep up, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's such an individualized thing. Like, yes, but I hate how we apply. We as in our healthcare system applies the same standards to every single person. Right. Yeah. That's a, my biggest peeve about it. I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's the same thing when we look at VBAC, right? It's like, oh, well, this, this, and like the calculator or whatever, right? It's like, you cannot group, you cannot do that. You have to look at the individual. You have to, have to, have to, because guess what? Julie and I, not the same person, not the same body. Our cervix isn't the same. Our uterus isn't the same. Any of that, nothing's the same, right? Yeah. We may have yeah. similar characteristics in our bodies or the way our cervix does things, but we are not the same. And so you cannot say... I just, I don't love, I don't feel comfortable that they are grouping so much in this wide range because it's not necessarily the case. So yeah, so let's talk about how how to, what are other ways to reduce your chances of having a cesarean? And I know that Julie and I got a little um, passionate on an episode in the past about home birth, right? Mm -hmm. But like, there there's something to be said about home birth and what it can do to a cesarean right and we know that it's not for everybody but it is there it is there and you are going to have less chances of having induction or interventions which can lead to reasons for cesarean right so home birth choosing a home birth and provider right a provider is one of the biggest things you can do to have a vaginal birth and to lower your chances of cesarean. My first, mine and Julie's, I don't know if you, if you're just new to us, Julie and I actually have the same provider um, who performed our cesarean with her first and my first and second. And I mean, I don't know, Julie, did you know this about him that he had such a high cesarean rate? Like, did you, I, I didn't. No, not till years later. Me either. Yeah, I didn't either. And then and then obviously like years later, like when the numbers were actually there for a little bit, but also seeing other people go to him and them all having cesareans, I was like, hmm, that's weird, you know? And like, I still, to this day, I know people who are having babies with him and still having cesareans. Yeah. Um, and so, and he's not all cesareans, but he's very high in the cesarean, right? So like choosing your provider who is comfortable with birth who trusts birth, who trusts you as an individual to make decisions for your baby and body, right? Mm -hmm. What are some other suggestions, Julie, that you would give? I mean, there's well, so honestly, many. like, I mean, we know that having a doula decreases your chances of having a cesarean by 25 to 39%, 30, depending yeah. on well, I think it's I think it's actually like 39%, but in yeah. the, our blog it says 25%. So I think because 
because the it's interesting how they break there's a study about doula support right and they break it down we're like having so um continuous support and then continuous support by a doula so i feel like the numbers probably got switched out um i think 25 percent by having anyone with you continuously like your mom yes. or somebody and then yes. a doula is even higher at 39 percent and then having intermittent monitoring versus continuous fetal monitoring um, reduces your chance of having a cesarean by 39%. And I could go off on a whole soapbox about continuous fetal monitoring, but I will not. So I don't want to turn this into an hour and a half long episode. But honestly, like your provider, like Megan said, is so, so, so important. Looking into alternative uh, methods of pain relief, like laboring in the water, different types of counter pressures, different types mm -hmm. of birthing mm -hmm. um, positions, waiting as long as like leaving at home as long as possible. I think you already talked about that a little bit too. Like all of those things, having a supportive environment, being able to move upright freely is going to help with all of those things. And I would also yes. argue that waiting for labor to start on its own, waiting for spontaneous labor is also going to decrease your chance of having a cesarean just yes. by the things that I've seen in my own practice as a doula and now birth photographer as well. So not, it's not going to get rid of your chances all the way and doing any of these things except or even doing all of these things are not going to guarantee that you're not going to have a C-section, right. but, um, but they're going to, they're going to drastically reduce your chances of needing lots of interventions, including a cesarean. Right. And really too, like in, in all of this education, is so so important because as you're going through this you're vulnerable you guys it's hard when we are especially when we're actually like in labor right it is not easy to be like if you have a provider coming in and saying this this and that it's not easy to say oh yeah well the evidence says this right it's mm -hmm. not but at the same time if you have the education in your mind and a provider comes in and says something you're less likely to get spooked or scared because you're mm -hmm. going to know the evidence whether or not you're in a spot that you can actually talk about the evidence you mentally are prepared because you've educated yourself to know that what they are saying is maybe true maybe not but you know the alternatives to those things or you know the evidence against those things and so you can say okay i really appreciate the conversation i'm gonna need some time because maybe you feel comfortable with that because you know the evidence right mm -hmm. and so i think just all of these things along the way are so impactful for you to truly have a better birth experience and and even if it does go the cesarean route again being educated feeling supported, all these things, you'll have a likely better cesarean experience because you'll have the options, you'll know, and you'll feel better about making the choice and the decision. Mm -hmm. And you'll feel like you have made a choice. Like, okay, so except we're like extreme circumstances where there's a really life-threatening emergency, like you will feel like you did every you did everything you could you will yeah. feel like you were in control of what was happening to you you were feel you will feel like you called the stash i just had a client a few weeks ago and she was going for feedback after two c-sections and she felt like she wanted to be induced in her 39th week she followed her intuition she leaned into it she trusted her doctor her doctor was mm -hmm. super super supportive and he was 
really just trusting her. Like he had his recommendations mm -hmm. and then, but he also felt good with the choices that she made, even though they weren't necessarily always in line with his recommendations, he supported her. And it was a really beautiful relationship to see that happening, but she chose to be induced at 39 weeks. He was, his, her provider was comfortable with her going beyond that, but she felt like she wanted to, she felt like it was time for baby to come. And um, I won't talk into all of the reasons why, but so she ended up being getting induced and they went for almost 24 hours. And she told me the night before, like she, the induction was, she wasn't dilating. So they started Pitocin. Mm -hmm. She wasn't dilating. And she told me like, if I'm not dilated to a three, which is the farthest I've ever gotten in my other two pregnancies, my other two inductions, then I'm calling it in the morning and I'm going to do a C-section. And yeah. I was like, okay, I... I'm support you in your choice. Um, and I was doing doula talk for her. So doula and birth photography and just let me know when you want me to come, I will be there. And she ended up not dilating at all overnight. And so she mm -hmm. called it and she had a C-section and her provider was there along with her the whole way supporting her. And he's like, okay, well, we can do this. We can keep going if you want, if we can call it, if you want, whatever you want. And she was literally calling her shots the whole time. And, and she said that, and, and her lot, I was also her doula for her last c-section and um it ended similarly she's induced a couple weeks earlier for preeclampsia and she labored for a long time and she didn't dilate and both of those both of these two cesareans were relatively calm for her even though they didn't it wasn't the end the goal end wasn't the end thing that she wanted yeah. she feels confident that she made the right choices and all along the way and she had all the information and all the knowledge and here's the thing is that on another note, I have another client. No, it wasn't a client of mine. It was, although I've had many similar clients, but I was just talking to another birth photographer friend a few weeks back. And she had a client who is a first time mom who is 39 weeks. And this client didn't have a doula, but she was her birth photographer. And she called her up one day and she said, Hey, just so you know, um, I'm going to be induced at 39 weeks. Um, this is the day I'm being induced. Um, I'll let you know, like along the way, when I'm ready for you to come. And the photographer said, oh, why are you being induced? And she's like, well, my doctor just told me that it's uh, going to be better for me to avoid having a C-section than it's going to be safer for my baby, which mm -hmm. I don't know why they said that. But and keep in mind, this is also like secondhand information, right? right. Um, and then she said, and then my photographer friend says, like, I just don't know why she's being induced because she says she doesn't want to be induced, but she also trusts her provider. Right. And, you know, it. and okay, we trust people to you know, you have to let people make their right. own path. Right. And, and anyways, long story short is that, that my friend's client ended up having a C-section and mm -hmm. I mean, my friend was allowed in the operating room, which is really good um, when yeah. that happens, but, yeah. um, but it's really funny because I, who knows if it would have been able to be avoided or not, we just will never have the answer for that by waiting. But I feel like, I know I tell these two stories the both ended in cesareans after 39 week inductions because one didn't want an induction, but she was just doing what her provider said. And the other worked with her provider and her provider trusted her and she made the choice. And who do you think is going to be the one that has questions about how the birth went or one day wakes up and say, wow, I feel like I just got railroaded by the system. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like we have, we, what I wish more parents could understand is that we have a responsibility for our education around birth. Yes. We shouldn't have, I mean, I feel like it's a big disservice that we aren't teaching parents more about these options and choices and what's available to them. 
but you have a responsibility to step up, to learn more, to figure it out, to trust your intuition and to ask questions of the people supporting you. And if they will not answer them or if they make you feel uncomfortable, then you have the right and the responsibility to seek care elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we know it's not easy. Right? We know it's not easy, but you have the right. You always have the option. There are so many times when we get hired as a doula and we hear, uh, this is what happened. I just didn't know I had an option. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. And you can't, it's hard because you can't blame yourself for not knowing, but at the same time, it is our responsibility for getting the education, right? Like it's like the hard thing because like, I didn't know what I didn't know, but at the same time I could have learned more. And so mm-hmm. it's just, it's really, it's a really hard topic, but get the education, get the good supportive provider. If you can hire a doula, eat really healthy, do all the things you can to lower your chances of having a cesarean and know that if you are induced at 39 weeks as a first time mom or a first time vaginal birth (laughs) further, that doesn't mean that your cesarean rate percentage is absolutely factual going to be lowered, right? Yeah. Just doesn't mean that. So we hope that through listening to this, you've gotten some information, you've learned more about the ARRIVE study. As updates come through in all aspects in birth, we we want to be here. We want to update you and share these. And Julie, thanks for uh, being with me today. Absolutely. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, the worldwide database for VBAC doulas, and more, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.